people don't understand how much hard work goes into it on the agent side in terms of negotiating the deal and the, the shoots and all that kind of stuff but then also on, on the model side as well it's, it's not easy having your face splashed all over the place some models aren't happy with the way that some campaigns turned out but they don't have a choice at the end of the day Welcome back to another season of Third Culture Africans. I'm proud to say Africa's number one award-winning career and entrepreneurship podcast voted for by you at the African Podcast and Voice Awards. I am Zezeriaki Sal, your host. I'm obsessed with all things entrepreneurship and our show is dedicated to igniting your entrepreneurial journey, sharing resources and giving you the tools to pursue your dreams fearlessly. We celebrate artistry and stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed. Inspiring, motivating, and full of wonder, discover how those who succeed do it. Your support helps make this show bigger and better. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and join our community with weekly newsletters curated just for you. Let's connect on Instagram and Facebook at Third Culture Africans. Sit back, relax, and let's do this. Thanks, Charmaine, for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. No problem. Happy to be here. Took me a while to get you on the show. I know, right? It's just my schedule. <laughs> I think this has taken like a year or so. It's taken about a year to get you on here, but I'm glad you've made some time uh, to share with us because I think your your journey, your story is incredible utterly inspiring um, and I'm grateful that you have chosen our platform to share. I'm conscious that you don't do a lot of interviews or anything of the sort but I do think that seldomly do we see the people behind the successes that we come to know and I think you're doing such incredible work um, in, in your space but before before we jump in I will give you your flowers um, because each guest I introduce them with my Busquus intro um, as a hope of summarizing in, you know, a paragraph their career journey. Um, so you are a talent manager and advocate for advancing Africa fashion and African talent while using digital media. Correct. Actually, I've now, might as well say I've, I've been promoted in a way so I think the last time we spoke yes. was when I was working at Storm and there I was a talent manager but now I'm at Premier Models and now I'm a director of the talent board. Incredible. <laughs> director y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Put some respect on that. Thank yes, you. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's incredible. Okay so I'm behind on that. Um, sorry apologies. I usually nail That's that. That's all right. But in terms of, I guess, your your career to date, there's been a huge part of your work that's been about creating a voice for talent in Africa or of African descent or Africans in diaspora. And, and that spanned a career of well over 15 years. Um, and you've done that incredibly well, um, but also done that in a way that very few people recognize ex unless they're in your industry that that's that's the work that you've done because we appreciate a lot of it right um from seeing celebrities or seeing our afro 
beat celebrities dressed in, you know, popular brands like Louis Vuitton, etc. Seeing these brand deals and partnerships of people like us who are in the media and, and, and in the mainstream media celebrities, but not knowing how those relationships happen, who actually brokers those deals, how do you get the talent and the brands together. But I think before before we start on, I guess, life today, I always like to kind of dial back I remember when I first met you um, and we were at mm-hmm. Igbenadion Education Center in, in, yeah, yeah, in Benin. Um, I, 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 don't, I think yeah. you started at like in the middle of a term. So you didn't start at the beginning of yeah. a term, but there was chatter around this girl coming from England and she was coming to the school. And so everyone <clears throat> was sort of excited, right? Because everyone loves a new girl. Um, especially in boarding schools, because like, you know, you're coming from the outside world you're co- and you're not just coming from Nigeria, you're coming from England. Um, and I remember you arriving and obviously you had your accent was very different. I don't think you understood a lot of what anyone was saying when you first arrived. No, not, not at all. <laughs> I, was, I, was an ang- I was an angry teenager. And you were very angry, <laughs> extremely yeah. angry. Yeah, because it was supposed to be a, a two-week holiday that ended up being like a th- like three years. Yeah, <laughs> it was one of those. Oh, Charmaine, we're going to Nigeria on holiday, and then my mom broke the news to me and my brother while we we're out there that we're going to be there for quite some time. So yeah, incredible. <laughs> there's shock. there's this meme going around um, social media about you know a girl who says you know you thought you were going to the family wedding. Have you seen it yet? <laughs> yes, I have. That that's literally me. Yeah, that was me. I, I, I guess we, we, we might laugh about it now, but at the time as a, as a young as a young girl who basically had her world ripped up from under her, you had your friends, you had your life, you were going on holiday and all of a sudden you are now going to a new school where you had to fit in. How, how did you find that transition at the time? It was hard, but I'm lucky. I think all of us in our families, kind of the, the way I've been raised as I've always done that whole like oh sink or swim Mm. but I think that was the first time in my life where it was a sink or swim situation but it was hard for me to swim it was my probably my second time being in Nigeria the first time I was eight years of age so it was very different going back there as a teenager I literally saw my friends the day before oh guys I'm going to Nigeria on holiday I'll see you guys in a week two weeks so it was a lot I think for the first year I remember sitting in class and the teachers being like Charmaine you know you need to read you know you need to do this do that and I'm like no I don't need to do that I'm not going to be here for that long I'm from London (laughs) that was my mindset I feel like that was your vibe the whole time at school the whole entire time so the first year I failed you know how it is in Nigeria you fail you repeat the whole year again but thank god for obviously Lady Cherry and Chief of Benadian that owned the school they kind of intervened. My mum wrote them a long letter in terms of, sorry, about the fact that me and my brother are fresh to Nigeria and from London. So she kind of took pity on us and basically said, look, you're going on to the second year, but you really need to to focus, mm. you know, make friends, you, you know, you might enjoy mm. this. And I actually did, funny enough, because the thing is, my closest friends are the people that I spent three years of my life with in, in boarding school. I mean, it's not... It, it was bittersweet at times, you know, sometimes it was fun, sometimes it wasn't. Me having to get to know the culture a bit more, I was always looked at like that London girl, so 
sometimes in a very unserious way. So it was a lot, but, you know, I can tell you something now, it, it changed my whole entire life in terms of the way I look at life. I came back to the UK appreciating life, just appreciating just the little things, 24-hour electricity, for instance. That was one thing that I really appreciated. But I think before I left or before I was sent to Nigeria, if you asked me back then, Charmaine, what do you want to, what do you want to be when you grow up or, you know, your career aspirations? I didn't have mm. any. I just wanted to be rich. I always knew I wanted to work in mm. fashion. That's one thing. But I didn't know. I didn't really care. I wasn't really bothered. Whereas I came back from Nigeria and saw the way my peers had kind of pushed themselves. You know, a lot of people that graduated with me went on to university in America, in the UK, Italy, like different places. So that made me sit up because these were people that I was going to continue to be friends with. So how could I, why would I want to be left behind? So it kind of pushed me to have a career, go to university. And it was it was a slap in the face at first, but honestly, now looking down that lens at the age of 42, it was the best thing my mum my mom and dad ever did, to be fair. <laughs> Incredible. I remember you being quite sporty. You could run. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, I used to run. I can't, run. I can't even run for the bus now. <laughs> <laughs> I ran, up, I ran up the stairs the other day on the escalator, almost fainted. Um, <laughs> I can yeah, remember I that. Because when you first arrived, everyone was like, oh, everyone's super excited and you didn't really want to integrate. So it was kind of like, and I think at one point, I feel like you were kind of like, until you made the decision to integrate, my, my memory of you, there was like the first year of you being there was sort of like you were almost like an outsider and you wanted to be an outsider. Um, and then there was a switch. I think you decided that you wanted to integrate and be friends with people. Um, and I think sport, if I remember right, was like something you were good at. And that created, I guess, a sense of belonging at the time. And then it evolved from there. And then there was like the dancing girls. There was like a group of girls who used to dance and who loved music and all of that. And then I was like, I think I was big into like, what do we used to have? Entertainment night. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, I was like the social butterfly for that. And I used to teach everyone dance moves. Yeah. We like hit the dance floor. Yeah. It was fun. It was, it was, it was, it was where we had like one hour to like dance and drink as much Fanta and Coke as possible. Yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> I know. Explaining that in, in 2022 to a Gen Z, they would be like what they'll be like what there was no social media no pictures no no canapes <laughs> nothing I think there's no. only like few pictures and like it it would have to be there was that teacher who used to take photos but it was like like a main event oh, do you remember Mr. him yeah Mr Honor yes um, do you know why do you know why I remember him why? once we got we got punished by Mrs Omosage the she was like the principal yes because we didn't I think we we're too busy getting ready in the morning, putting on our little blue mascara, whatever we yeah. used to wear. Um, and we were all late. So SS3, this is when I was in the last year. And so she came to the hostel, called us all outside. We came out, she made us kneel down outside the hostel. And then she told Mr. Honor to come to the hostel and take us pictures. Oh, no. I, I, will, I will send you that picture. I still have no. that picture where she's standing next to me with her cane in her hand and we're like sitting on the concrete floor outside. And then she made us purchase the pictures from him. Oh my like god. I think it was like 70 naira a picture. It was, <laughs> it was the it's worst. It's like your tuck shop money. Life. I'm telling you, I was going to buy spring rolls. There's your tuck shop money. But crazy. that Goodness. I think everyone who's been to a Nigerian boarding school has, it either makes you or breaks you. And 
you learn to survive. I think, you know, you're thrown in deep trauma. There's lots of traumatic experiences. Um, and then all of a sudden you learn to cope within this dynamic of, you know, adolescent children coming from different places in different spaces in their lives. And we're all meant to sort of get along and get on with it, as it were, and excel in everything because, you know, it's it's an environment designed to to make you the best that you can be. But I remember, I, I think I left, I left before, before, um, you, you know, you guys got to being an SS3 and all of that good stuff. But I remember coming back to the UK and there was sort of like a loose community of, um, I guess, alumni from from the school. And because and I, I didn't stay to the end, I've always sort of floated on the peripherals, I think, of, of like the social circle. And I think there was probably four of us that came came to the UK around the same time that I did. So we stayed friends. Um, and there was obviously the relationships that came from people who then would come back to the UK. Um, and I remember you coming back. And I think at the time it was like MySpace was how we all used to connect. Do you remember MySpace? Yeah, yes, I remember MySpace and when Facebook first came out. And yeah. And we all kind of realised, oh, wow, we can all like be friends of all the people that we're in school with. Because we, after you graduate, everyone just, they scatter, don't they? They're all in different parts of the world. Yeah, you, you, you find your own life, right? Like everyone goes exactly. back to, you know, in your case, you came back to the UK um, came back to probably trying to fit back into what you left and probably realized, you know, you, you had changes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and that transition. Um, but I do remember, um, at one point where, you know, it was like Charmaine's a mum. Um, yeah. I don't know how old we were, but I was, I remember being young. Yeah. How old, was... how old were you? I had my son um, a month before my 21st birthday. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, it is. And especially that, me being from like a very strict Yoruba family, my mum's Yoruba, my stepfather is Yoruba, but my, my dad, my blood father is half Irish and half Benin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, my grandmother's strict. It was, it was a big thing in our in our family that, oh my God. You know, my mum was like, you know, I sent you to Nigeria to be educated and you're pregnant. But it is what it is. I think yeah. my family are very supportive. My my parents are very supportive. And the one thing that my mum made very clear from the get-go was that you're not going to use this as an excuse to not chase your dreams or not fulfil everything that, that has been set out for you in terms of your career. So it's funny because a lot of people, when they meet me and, and I, I mention, oh, my son, and they're like, oh, how old is he? Five, six? I'm like, no, 21. They're like, oh. <laughs> and then people always say that you don't look like someone that has a child. And I really dislike that saying because mm. what does someone that has a child look, look like? like? Yeah, Exactly. And I'm like, yeah. what does that mean? And then, then they start to start to, uh, 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 uh. but yeah, I guess I've had the, support of my parents I went through uni I've worked I've traveled it it didn't if anything I think it kind of pushed me because I always looked at my son and thought okay I can't mess this up because I have a mouth to feed I have a child I have a child to raise I want to be able to leave a legacy for him I don't want it to be as hard for him as it was for me, it doesn't matter whether he's going to be going into the fashion industry or any mm. industry. It's hard for black people in general, general in the yeah. UK. Um, so yeah, I think that, oh no, I think that def he definitely did push me without even 
without him having to even say anything really. And then he got to an older age and I then became that embarrassing, like young looking mother who he never allowed, like his friends never came around. I think it was on his 18th birthday, we had a conversation like late in the evening. And I said to him, I said, you know, why don't, why haven't your friends ever come around? Like, why don't they come to the house? And then he said, he's like, oh, you know, when I was young, I used to come to school. My friends used to make really embarrassing comments. Oh, no. And I'm there blushing, like flicking yeah. my hair, like, oh, really? And he didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't like it at all. And I think that's just been his life, having yeah. a mother that practically looks like his girlfriend. Like, it's happened yeah. before. We've been, we've been out together and he's been approached by like guys and they're like, oh, are you, is that your girl? Yeah. And with her. And he's like, that's my mum. <laughs> and I'm there flicking my hair in the back. Like, oh, yeah. Thank you. But, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. I like being a, I like being a young mum. Yeah. And I like the fact that I can always look at him and I don't know, just not just settle for less. Yes. I always want more yes. in terms of my career. Yeah. I think for, for us as a culture, um, one of the things they say is read your books, you know, get a good mm-hmm. job, get a husband, Marry. then get married, then have mm-hmm. a kid. Um, and I think there is something in, I guess, those who end up becoming outliers from that script, mm-hmm. you know, you weren't a doctor yet. You weren't a lawyer yet. You know, you didn't get your life together yet. And there you are tackling something in the wrong order. Um, And it's refreshing to hear that your family were supportive of of you becoming a mother. Um, In the grand scheme of things, 21 is not that young, considering that, you know, our grandparents had kids, you know, by 21 had like multiple children at that point. (laughs) Um, and, And to look at what two generations does to the expectation of when you begin a family and how our structure of our families work. Um, but I remember, I remember you becoming a mum, And at that point in my life, I thought, goodness, I don't even know where I'm coming or going. Um, and I think there were a few others who either got married really early and had kids early. And then also others who had kids around the same time. And I I remember thinking at one point in your life growing up as a young child, you're told that this is the end of someone's life. Having a kid early ends your life, literally. You're not going to be anything. You can't do anything. Um, And that narrative almost sticks with a lot of African kids. Um, And I think that narrative can be limiting because not not everyone's story um, is limited in that way, and there is a life. I, I remember in high school there was there was a girl who who had um, her first kid. I think at seventeen or something, um, and I remember going home really troubled by the fact that she had you know made the decision um, to not have protected sex and to put herself in a position where she was having a kid at so young, but she, she wasn't bothered, but I was, and I had to think about why I was so bothered by it because of my own, my own upbringing that made me feel like, you know, there wasn't much after. after. Yeah. There wasn't a decision. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think one of the beauties of your journey and your career is that, while being a young mother in today's terms, um, that hasn't stopped you from 
becoming yourself, if that makes sense. That hasn't stopped you from, you know, a career that's taking you from Buckingham Palace to the streets of Lagos for Fashion Week. Like, <laughs> you know, your career has been so diverse. Um, yeah. And, you know, starting from a place where your career opportunities and, 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 and I guess my question is, you started as a receptionist. Um, yeah. You know, you went to London College of Fashion, um, studied fashion management, you know, built built on that, but you started as a receptionist. Now, was that decision to start as a receptionist a function of the fashion industry as a time for a young black girl who wanted to enter it? Or was it a function of something else? Yeah, it was. The, it was just how the, the fashion industry was at that time. It kind of still is now in a way. I think the only difference now is that the fashion industry is more open to interns. Like interns come in and they stay and then they end up, you know, being offered roles within within the organisation that they go into. Whereas back then you basically had to start like from the bottom. Um, and that's where I started. I started off as a receptionist, but my mum is from a media background. My mum mm. um, has always worked within media. Mm. So she used to work for TVAM and now she works for the BBC um, mm. News 24. Mm. So I've always been around that kind of media fashion type of industry in a way so I used to follow my mum to work and sit in the green room as a young child and talk to all these famous people who were not famous to me then mm. but growing when I grew up I was like oh I was sitting in the green room with Margaret Thatcher mm. I was sitting in the green room with Rusty Lee and having a good conversation yes um so it was my only way in really did I think I was going to I don't know, move up from a receptionist to being a director mm. now at the age of 42? Probably not. I think at that time I just was happy to have a job mm. and I was happy to be within the fashion industry. I learned that in order for me to have got that foot in the door or getting a foot in the door mm. was difficult and I, I felt like I was being someone that I wasn't. Mm. Um, but then as I got older, I then just started to be my myself basically the kind of outspoken loud Charmaine some people didn't like it some people did and then I realized how many years down the line that when I was working with talent that that came in handy because mm. that's one thing talent warm to you if you are if you're just being yourself if you're not going to sugarcoat things if you tell them the truth you know if they're able to open up to you about situations outside of work, about mm. their personal life, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I guess it had to be myself, really. We have you placed in, I guess, you're finished, you become a mum, you're building this career in fashion, so you've, you're working for Swarovski. Um, then you go, and Buckingham Palace is one of your clients. Yeah. Then you go crazy, right? Um, very crazy. Then you go on to ITB Worldwide, which is a talent and influencer agency. Um, and, and that's the first time you're now cutting your teeth outside of, you know, merchandising or wholesaling and, and all of that for, for fashion yeah. brands. Um, and this is the first time you're now working with, you know, celebrities and talent. But alongside that, <clears throat> I think I remember bumping into you 
um, I want to say somewhere on Dover Street, I think there was like a sample sale happening and yeah. I think we bumped into each other then. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was like, a, oh my goodness, how are you? How are you doing? Blah, blah. But at the time you were also running your own business, which was 24 Lux. Yes. And you were talking to me about, you know, wanting to build the fashion industry in in Africa and and, and especially Nigeria at the time like fast forward, you know, we're having this conversation today and there is, you know, a celebration of fashion or African fashion at the V&A um, at the moment, which which seems light years away from us bumping into each other in the <laughs> in the hallway of, yeah, of, of a sample sale. But at the time you were you were doing two things and, yeah. you know, you had your nine to five, which was your day job. Um, and then you had 24 Lux and and consulting. I I think we seldomly don't talk about what it takes to make it. I think often there is a conversation around, you know, I just arrived here somehow, you know, to to the outside world, that's how it looks. But it would be great to, to hear from you what it was like in those early stages of trying to impact the fashion industry on the continent it was hard I'm not gonna lie whereas I thought oh I'm basically taking these ideas into Africa they're going to be very receptive but they weren't to be honest with you at first it was they liked the idea but then I slowly started to realize that when doing business with Nigerians in terms of them building their brand or adding a new product selection to their brand or speaking to them about licensing and franchise franchises within fashion because it's such a long process Nigerians didn't understand that and that was the problem they wanted something that was going to happen now but then they also found it very hard to drop large amounts of money on a business module that would only launch in like a year or two years time that that was something that they just didn't understand and in my eyes it was it was quite difficult because I'd have a meeting with a client and would discuss you know their ideas and what they wanted to go into and then I would you know confirm my consulting fee and then they'll be like oh you know that's you know quite a lot of money I'm I'm not sure why I have to pay that so because I wasn't an actual object or product. They didn't understand why they had to pay me Mm. because I wasn't, I don't know, a handbag or a piece of jewelry. But in that same client, I would then see them on social media, flying business class and carrying a Birkin bag and things like that. So it's just that Nigerian way of thinking where, and don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking Nigerians at all because I'm Nigerian, but they have this mindset where they don't get it. If it's not something they can wear, they can drive, they can they they don't understand the, the long-term business module. And, and I think that's that's the problem. That's the big problem in Nigeria because you look at places like Lagos, we don't even have like a big shopping mall. We don't have a, a Westfield. If you're in Nigeria today and you spilled coffee on a white t-shirt that you brought with you from London and you didn't have any white t-shirts in your luggage, where in Lagos would you go to purchase a white t-shirt? 
Exactly. There isn't anywhere. You, you, ho- you hope you know someone with a boutique that sells very basic items like a white t-shirt. Else you'll but just that, have to buy something else. Exactly. And that's the thing. We don't have a H&M, a Primark, a Zara, or we don't have a version of. And and that's quite, it's quite sad in a way because I feel like with Nigerians, we only look at the high end. Whereas places like the UK and the States, the high streets or the fashion industry has done well based on they have an entry level price point. So you do, you have a Primark, then you have a high end high street, which is your under the stories and Zara. And then you have your high end, your Gucci's, your Dior, et cetera. But we only have a high, we only have high end. Whereas not, we know for a fact, not everyone in Nigeria has that disposable income to purchase high end. So are you trying to tell me that anyone in Nigeria that can't afford a Dior handbag or a pair of Fendi trousers has to walk around naked? You know, they can't have a pair of like entry level jeans. And that was my, that was me. I was trying to go in not to work on the high end side of things. Mm. It was to work on the high street because that's where the money comes from. You know, and it wasn't just the high street. I was also looking into factories being um, built in Nigeria to produce garments that were going to be shipped out of Nigeria, like China, like India, like Turkey. But again, that was a big problem because we don't have 24 hour light. So which means you'd have to have add you'd you'd have to add the diesel costs to your cost price, which means retail wise, you just wouldn't make any sense. So there's a lot of things in Nigeria that was making my life hell in a nutshell but it was it it, I learned a lot I learned a lot I think that's been one of the bigger questions right which has been um how do we get for the large part most of Africa to to go through the industrial era because while we have copious amounts of talent there are challenges with infrastructure um, and then alongside that, the challenges that exist beyond the infrastructure are those around, you know, industrializing and commercializing a lot of our industries, which, you know, create economic support and independence for a lot of Africans or can create. Um, but I remember f- us having that conversation and walking away from it and at the time, I think I was living in South Africa, so I understood, I understood what you were saying, and I understood what you wanted to propose. I was building my brand at the time, so but I also understood how far behind we were in Africa to even make that a reality. But there was a hope in that, you know, there would be some successful entrepreneurs who could see the potential in in what the industry could become and and i feel like there's a, the catalyst to where we are now has really been the music scene yeah i don't know from where you are you know having worked with the likes of wizkid hedy one eva apio adisua and huge campaigns these guys have done, you know, over the years mm. with your Chanel's and Louis Vuitton's, et cetera. Just to name drop because, you know, we've got to, <laughs> we've got to name drop for you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot of those bigger luxury brand collaborations we've seen from those guys is your work. And is your work that has been so cleverly done and in such a strategic way that 
the catalyst we're seeing today for African talent and that fusion with fashion, you have a huge hand in that happening. I don't, I don't know if anyone listening now can understand in context what I've shared, but if you think about any African of note in the last five years, I would say, who has done anything with a major luxury brand, Charmaine's behind it. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane, right? Crazy. Sometimes I even, when I walk past billboards or adverts pop up, I, or taxi drives by and I see like a model in the front of it or like a campaign or collaboration that I've worked on, it's still, I'm still shocked. It's weird, even though that was my work or that's something that I've worked on, I'm still shocked, but I don't, I never look at it and think about myself. It's always the joy that I get from seeing that model on a billboard or, or on, a, on a campaign. It's, it's a crazy, it's a nice feeling. Like sometimes I look like a crazy woman on, when I'm in the, on, getting on the train and I can see like campaigns and I'm there, they're like laughing and smiling to myself and taking pictures and people are looking at me like, what the hell? Uh, but it's, 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 it's a great, it's a great feeling. And people don't understand how much hard work goes into it on the agent side in terms of negotiating the deal and the, the shoots and all that kind of stuff. But then also on, on the model side as well, it's, it's not easy having your face splashed all over the place. Some models aren't happy with the way that some campaigns turned out, but they don't have a choice at the end of the day. So yeah, there's, there is a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. And I, I think with me, I've just worked on, worked in the industry for so long that I work on one campaign and just move on to the other. Goodness, I think you, you have the campaigns of all campaigns under your belt, this tiny temper. <laughs> I think the, the, the one that gave me goosebumps was your fella Kuti Versace. You had fella Kuti in a Versace shirt and it was, um, I think he's called the, the Heeb and he did like this whole it was like a reimagining of some of our idols in some of the bigger oh, brands. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a collab. No, I don't think that, no, that wasn't me. That was basically, so obviously Fellow's family, would they, they would own all of the assets to that. So they would have to go to his family to to license out those those images. But mm. so, it's so great that someone like Fella, who I'm, I've always been a massive fan of, yes. he's so iconic yeah. that he's been used you know in an array of campaigns music wise visual name it's just it's just fantastic that we we have someone under our belt like that as a Nigerian and and in addition to all of this you're you're traveling lots good lots um and and seeing yourself now as a black African woman in I guess the international luxury fashion scene are are there things that you feel have been the main contributors to your success in that industry? Mm, I just not really. I think if I was one of those people that had a mentor or something like that, then yeah, I could say that. But I've always been someone that I just do things on my own. Really, I think the only person that I really look to is my mum because she has worked in an industry that is predominantly English people, white people. And she's always 
being the only black person within like certain departments and that's how my career has been from the get-go I've always been the young black girl well not so young now but yeah I have always been girl you look 15 what are you talking about thank you thank you (laughs) (laughs) they're gonna think I bribed you what are you talking about for anyone (laughs) listening you can go on to her Instagram the link is in the show notes And please have a look and tell me if you believe any word that she said about the fact that she's no longer looking like the young girl in the office. Because that is absolute, that is absolute fodder. What do you mean? Thank you. Thank you. Um, But no, she's, she's, my mum has always kind of sat me up. I've, I've been in those awkward positions when it's come, when it has come to my race where, People didn't take me seriously. People didn't want to work with me. And I was a young black girl that just got angry and I I was just ready to like curse people out. But my mum said to me, you know, you need to think about long term. Are you going to be angry for the rest of your career? No. There's certain ways that you can answer questions without being rude. There's certain ways that you can not have a disagree, not have an argument, but disagree with someone without swearing or being rude. So I learned that. So I would always run to my mom, like if I traveled and I was in a in an awkward space where I just felt like I was the only black, because it was hard when I was young, just looking around the room and just seeing no black people there. It was, but then also being in that position where you're in a room where no one's speaking to you because you're black or people don't take you seriously. Or I've had people walk up to me and think I was like a PA or, or they've said to me, oh, can you get me another drink? Or, you know, I'm, I'm done with these canapes. You can take my plate. And I'm like, mm, I'm here for the same thing as you, honey. <laughs> so it was, it's it's one of those. And thank God I've always had that sense of humour. My sense of humour is probably what has kept me, you know, I don't know, alive to date. So, yeah, I think it's, I think as you as a person, you shouldn't really look to people or anything when it comes to that. You've actually got to be able to push yourself. Because what if that person disappears? What if they're not available that one day that you need a pep talk? You've got to be used to just bigging yourself up, talking to yourself like, you know, you can do this. I can do this. Don't be phased by this. I'm good at what I do. That's the main thing. If you're good at what you do, why should you question what you're doing? A, a quick question for you. W- would you say that your career over the last five years has been, these are my notes, but I guess your career over the last five years has been built on entrepreneurship. So we speak a lot now and I think entrepreneurship is such a big buzzword. Everyone thinks that you make millions going on your own. Um, where actually statistically it's the other way around. You know, you're more likely you're more likely to become a millionaire in employment than you are outside of it. But would it be fair to say that the last five years the focus for you has been entrepreneurship? Mm, yes and no. I think yes. Yes before COVID and then COVID hit and then I was very grateful for the fact that I still had a nine-to-five because all my friends that were entrepreneurs I saw how hard it was for them um but I think it's almost like an up and down a roller coaster of emotions when it comes to entrepreneurship I think now I look at it and think okay I would want this to be my last rodeo and I think within anyone in any career, male or female, black or white, you hit the ceiling and there's nowhere else for you to go. And if you're someone like me, 
I like to be kept busy. That's one thing I like about my job. I could be doing, I do different things every day. So when you hit the ceiling, you think to yourself, okay, what do I do now? And and if you're thinking that, I think that's the time where you think to yourself, okay, I can actually do this on my own. Was I ready to be an entrepreneur six, seven years ago? Probably not. I thought I was, but I I don't now I look back at it, I don't I don't think I I don't think I was because I was, I still needed someone to push me. You know, Shaman, have you done that? And have you done this? I'm one of those people that I will stray. I will take like an hour and a half lunch. Oh, well, that was before, not now. <laughs> but yeah, I would have taken like an hour or two hour lunch. And, you know, but now being a director and having a team, I look, you know, if I look at them and think, well, if they did that and they disappeared for two hours, how would I feel? So, yeah, now am I ready? Yeah, be- a couple of years ago, no. And I think I thought I was ready then because everyone else was jumping ship which is which is something that you should never ever do especially when it comes to jumping ship from a nine to five to working on your own don't ever do that if you're not financially stable mm. if you have a mortgage yeah do you know what I mean yeah you know don't empty out your savings just to become an entrepreneur because you're not going to enjoy it and you're not going to be working and doing something that you love you're going to be working to live. And I always say to people, that is the worst situation you can ever be in, where you're just working to survive, working to pay bills, working to pay a mortgage. No, it's just, it's just not, you're just not in a happy place, which means you can't really work with clients to the best of your ability because you're going to be thinking of the mountain of debt or mountain of bills that you have ahead of you. If someone had to ask you, what's the favorite thing about what you do? What would you say that is? Um, I guess it sounds a bit corny, but making people's dreams come true. I think when it comes to like our models and talent, like uh, with Eva Appio, I've been Eva's agent probably since she was, I think, 18, 17 or 18. She's now, well, I won't say her age, but yeah. yeah. And I think back, back then when I first met her and we spoke and I was like, you know, you know, what do you want to do? What's your five? five-year plan, 10-year plan, and we spoke about certain things. And a lot of those things have, have come to pass. So it's it's that, it's making people's dreams come true in that way, whether it be them wanting their own their own label, their own brand, or whether them wanting to collaborate with a certain brand or retailer or being part of a certain campaign or being on the cover of certain magazines. That's that is one thing that I I enjoy so much. I will stay in the office till one two in the morning, knowing well that a deal is gonna going to be done. It's going to be finalized, mm. and then in six or seven months' time, that model or talent, you know, their dream has come true. I love that. I love that bit of my job. I've I've never I've never been within the industry and just thought about myself because you can't. You manage people. Some of the some of the talent and models that I've managed over the years, they've they've turned into like family or friends. So you, you have to you have to really, I don't know, delve into their world as much as they delve into yours. So you have to do it for them. It's not really for yourself. Cool. Where does the passion come from for you though? I just like work, you know. <laughs> it's just long, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And I'm Nigerian and we like betating. Yeah. You know? So I, I just- I'm with I you, girl. Enjoy. I like working. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I like- working I don't don't get me wrong I'm not knocking housewives or anything like that but I just enjoy having something to do I enjoy having a purpose I enjoy 
I enjoy going to meetings. I enjoy meeting new people. I enjoy networking. I enjoy being on set. I enjoy all those aspects of my job. And I enjoy the fact that I don't have a, a nine to five where I come in and do the same thing every single day. It changes big time. So yeah, I, I just enjoy being busy. I'm a little busybody. I'm always fluttering around. And I've and I've always been like that since I was young. My grandmother was always telling me to, you know, keep my myself in one place, but it was always impossible. And it was funny. One of my grand's friends, I remember, I think I was like fifteen, and I was sitting in my grandmother's live room. I think I was in her room while she was trying on like different traditional. And the and her friend looked at me, and she was she looked at me, and she said, "Do you know when you grow up, you're gonna you're gonna go into fashion?" And then my grand laughed. My grand said, oh, you know, she's always said that she wants to be a fashion designer. Mm. And you know, Nigerian parents or grandparents, ah, you want say to be fashion. seamstress. Ah, that's exactly what I'm saying. seamstress. seamstress. <laughs> Even now, if you ask my grand, what, if I'm like, Granny, what do I do? Eh, you're so close. You do seamstress for famous people. You do. And it goes on the, on the, on the TV. I'm like, mm, that's not what I do. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, back then, that woman said to me, and I remember looking at her thinking, like, oh, I do love fashion, actually. Yes. But it's crazy that I then grew up and I wasn't pushed. I'm not. Yes, I'm from a family. You know, my mum's siblings, lawyers, investment bankers. Yes. My mum's in the media. But I wasn't ever pushed by my mum to, oh, you need to be a doctor. Oh, mm. you need to be a lawyer. Mm. She just wanted me to do what what I was, what I'd be happy with doing. And the same thing for my son. I remember my dad saying to him, you know, we can't have another person studying IT in this family you need to go and study be, to be a doctor and I'm like daddy it doesn't work, it doesn't yeah. work like that. you can't flip the coin and be like we've got too many of those we need you to do that yeah like, it doesn't work like that and even with my son I've always said to him do whatever makes you happy and he's always been big he's always been like a little computer geek anyway he's always managed to like tap into my phones and iPad without me giving him my password so that was, <laughs> that was me knowing that he was going to delve into that world so you've got to allow your kids as well as same thing my mum did to me my parents did to me I, they just told me to do whatever made me happy and back then you know god bless that woman's soul she's passed now but she said that out loud like I always say to people say positive things put it out there in the atmosphere she told me that when I was like 14 or 15 and I'm now here at the age of 42 having this conversation with you so yeah life is crazy how how would you because you're around a lot of successful people or what we would term successful people. Um, but how would you define success? I don't think anyone can define success, really. You, you can't define it by saying, oh, I'm successful because I wake up every day and go to work. Or I'm successful because I have such and such in my bank account. I don't think anyone... I don't know. That's actually a quite a good. That's a good question, actually. Well, you're around all these successful people. Yeah, I I am, but I'm quite. I'm someone that I'm not really phased by much, and that is a blessing because with the kind of people that I've come across in my career or being on set with certain talent, you can't be like, oh, oh, there's so and so. Oh, can I take a selfie? I kind of, I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's it. And I kind of move on and get the job done. You don't fangirl ever? No. Wait, hold on. I, have I, fan, I fangirled with someone. It was really embarrassing. Wasn't it? <laughs> it was such a random, I can't remember, but I think that was at the beginning of my career. That was years ago. But I think now, not really. Being like meeting people like Wiz 
and rep- meeting people like Stormzy and like representing Tiny Temper and even meeting people like I used to rep like Alec Wex, Cindy mm. Crawford. Yeah. No, I just I think even with Alec Wex, the first time she walked into the offices at Storm, she looked at me and I looked at her. And we'd spoken on emails quite a lot. And then the owner of Storm introduced her, oh, you know, this is our new agent, Charmaine. And then she whispered in my ear, she's like, Charmaine, for some reason, I don't know why, I thought you were Indian. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, my surname's Adaremi, for God's sake. <laughs> and, and then that's it, we just became... How incredible. And it was, whereas a normal person would be like, oh, no, 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 I'm not Indian. And I would have moved on. I'm like, what the yeah. hell? Yeah. So we just had like a normal, and that's just Amazing. me. I'm that, I'm just that person, the same way... I would have a conversation with you or yeah. my friends or my dad is the same way I would have a conversation with, with talent. Yeah. So even I think being around successful people has, has kept me grounded. Mm. I don't think you can really measure up, su- measure up success, really. <laughs> I mean, if you're able to retire in your 30s, then, mate, you're definitely successful. Yeah. But I, I guess, no, I don't even know. I don't even think. I'm actually going to have to think about that question. I'm going to think about that. <laughs> I think you've always had this special gift of of being open. Um, oh, yeah. I think it, anyone that went to boarding school with me that listens to this knows that I've always been a very, I'm an open person. Yeah. I speak my mind. If it offends you, I'm sorry. But at least with me, you know yeah. where you stand, really. You know where you stand, you can ask me a question and I'll tell you the truth. I'm not really going to sugarcoat it because of who you are or because you're my friend. I believe it's always good to be honest, really. What would you say the biggest misconception is about your job? Yeah, everything. It's crazy. Oh. The amount of DMs that I get from people is, yeah. Oh, I want to become a model. How does this happen? Oh, I want to be on the model. I want to be on the cover of blah, blah, blah. Or people tend to think that with agents, we are the talent. Mm, no or they oh this is the best one oh Charmaine you're always on holiday no I'm not I'm working <laughs> so when you're on holiday you're you know you're at the beach you've got a cocktail in your hand mm. I'm I land and I'm on set and I can be on my feet for like three four days in a row and then jump on a plane back to London and I'm back in the office you know sometimes I don't see my son for like two three weeks at a time it's very glamorous looks yeah, glamorous looks, but that's the misconception it looks glamorous don't get me wrong I love it I enjoy it but it's actually not that glamorous at all it's it's not glamorous you have the late nights you have the early mornings like today I'm in the office all day I have meetings I then have an event in the evening I'm going to be out too late but then I have like a 9am meeting tomorrow morning am I going to get to have a lie-in because I went to an event no so if things like that, people think that it is very glamorous, but it's it's not. It's early mornings, late nights, uh, a lot of partying, even if you're not a sociable person. I act, The thing is, on the outside, people look at me and think that I'm actually very sociable and an extrovert, but I'm not. I'm an introvert. Okay. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing. It's my job that has pushed me, but really and truly, outside of, me working or traveling if you find me I'm at home making a gussy or jollof or <laughs> learning how to make akara without splashing oil everywhere that's me it's <laughs> funny but people yeah. look on the outside and think oh Charmaine you know you dine out you're in fancy restaurants you do this you do that no I'll pick a local Nigerian restaurant or KFC over a fancy restaurant any day I'm a simple gal and next time you're on set with a with a celebrity and you post online, I will I will DM you. Don't forget that Akara. 
<laughs> you know what? Do you know the funniest thing? Let me make you laugh. Once I was on set with Adiso and it was a it was a weekend yeah. and I was at my parents' house and my mum was like, Oh, I was like, Mum, I have to go and working. Mm. And she's like, Oh, what are you doing today? I was like, Oh, I'm on set with Adesua. And she's like, Oh, I love her. And she was like, Oh, there's like some jollof and blah blah blah. Why don't you take some with you? I yeah. literally took <laughs> a container of jollof with assorted meats ah, on set. Sweet. And Adesu Adesu was like, Hey, like she wants girl. to end. You want to end my career. I need flat she stomach. Was, she was like, "Please, please, please wait." She's like, "Where do I warm it up?" She's like, oh, "Forget about warming up." She ate that. So I'm that person. If Amazing. I'm on set with you and you want jollof, I will make it happen. Amazing. What What do you wish you knew in the early days? I guess ten years ago, if you today bumped into yourself, then what would you tell her? to not place your entire career on people. The fashion industry can be a very lonely industry. And as much as we do, you know, the International Women's Day and all these panel talks and that, and there's a lot of people that you think are your friend or you meet them in the industry, but they're not. Like not, long story short, not everyone wants the best for you. And I learned that the hard way. I don't have that trait. So I've always found that hard to understand. If I'm in a room full of people, my first thing is, how can I get that one to work with that person? And, oh, meet so-and-so, she does this. Why don't you blah, blah, blah. But I, I yeah, it was, it was quite a slap in the face learning that. I think that's a function of growing up in the bubble that we grew up in, to be fair. Yes, I, th- I think it, we were, we were brought is. up in a, in a very clean bubble. Um, and, and we all had similar, similar goals and values. So that, that made it, that made it easier to navigate at the time, but you you come out of 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 life knowing that. And I guess my last question, I know I won't take up too much of your time because you probably have to run. Um, but what would you say is the one thing that has really helped you along the way? My honesty. It it has helped me big time. And I think my sense of humor as well. It has kept me alive at like dark moments where I wanted to give up or certain jobs were really getting me down or, you know, I didn't agree with things that certain talent were doing and then would knock heads or people that I even represented and they've kind of gone out there and spoke bad about me, even though I wanted the best for them. So when those kind of things happen, you've got to be able to speak to yourself tell yourself how good you are you know not not get too down because I yeah I have I'm not always that happy I haven't always been that happy go lucky person not everything has gone right for me in my career but my sense of humor and my honesty has actually kept me it's kept me sane and and that's the only advice that I can give to people especially in this day and age you have a lot of people out there that like to sugarcoat things or tell you one thing when they really mean another whereas honesty it just it just takes seconds and it's less drama and people know what they're getting I've worked with clients and I've explained to them you know I oh my background is manufacturing branding and these are companies that are about to produce product for my talent and they're like oh Charmaine that is a breath of fresh air because 
you get talent that think that you have a meeting with them on Tuesday and then they can see a sample on like Friday. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I'm there to give them the honest opinion that that's actually not going to be the case. Hold basically. on a minute. <laughs> it does not work like that. I always say yeah, exactly. no, no, no experience is ever wasted. Um, yeah, true, and true. and if you're open to the idea that almost everything you do along the way, like if you think of, and, and when I look at your career, almost everything has been created and you've walked in those footsteps to be where you are. I don't know if you feel the same, but I think with each experience, you almost sharpen the tool. Oh yeah, um, definitely, definitely. You learn, you have to. Not If anyone tells you that they don't learn from any experience that they've gone through, then yeah, then I don't know what they're doing. But I've learned from being sent to Nigeria in my teenage years, learning how to not conform, but adapt to my culture that, yes, I was born into, I'm Nigerian, but obviously being Nigerian in the UK is very different from being Nigerian in Nigeria. So I had to adapt to that. Coming back to the UK, I then had to adapt to the fact that I'd been away for so long and I came back very different. I then had to adapt to being very different from the people that I grew up with over here. You know, some people would say, you know, some people went around and said, oh, Charmaine came back from Nigeria and now she thinks she's bougie. No, I didn't think I was bougie. I just had your world opened up, yeah. Yeah, my world opened up. I had a plan. I wanted to pursue a career. I wanted to go to university. I knew what I wanted. So, yeah, yeah, you've got to believe in yourself at the end of the day, even if no one else does. If you continue believing in yourself and you focus, yeah, you'll get stuff done. People are going to knock you. I've been knocked. I've been told no, 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 no. So many times. (laughs) Tell me. It happens. I've been told no, you know, when it comes to campaigns, they want to pick this model. I'm like, oh, go for this one. No, it's not going to work. And I'm like, it will work. It will work. It will work. Uh, yeah, so I practically put my career on the line some of the time. But if you don't do it, then the models will just never get their foot through the door. I always say my middle name is Zeze No Oriaki Sal. <laughs> <laughs> because you hear it so That's many times one. you might yeah, as well own it um yeah. but Charmaine thank you so much um for being so candid and for sharing so openly I know that it's it's not your default um <laughs> but I'm appreciative of you taking the time um today to share more with me and with our listeners who now uh, a lot more than I could have even imagined when I when I thought of the concept of the show. Um, Congratulations! Where, thank you. Where where can they find you? Oh, my social media is what is my social media? Oh, that's it. Shams S H A R M S underscore A. Great, and it, we'll put the links in the show notes. And if anyone's thinking of becoming a model or the next best thing. Uh... <laughs> Give me a shout. <laughs> Wonderful. Give give her a shout and, and she's she's the woman to talk to. Thank you so much, Charmaine, for sharing no problem, so openly no. today. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you to over 20,000 of you that have tuned in and have continued to tune in. Because of you, our show is now distributed on Vodacom Africa's platform, My Muse. Your support helps make this show bigger and better. If you're a fan of the show, we would love to know. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and join our community with weekly newsletters curated just for you. 
check out our free resources on entrepreneurship, productivity, finance, and leadership at thirdcultureafricans.com. You can now catch special episodes with video on YouTube at Third Culture Africans. Let's connect on Instagram and Facebook at Third Culture Africans. Let's do this. Let's do this.